Hey everyone, my name is Danny Householder. I'm the campus pastor here at Hope Ames. I'm also going to be a part of Kairos because of that. I'm just so grateful to be with you here uh, tonight. Hey, a couple of observations on that clip. Number one, uh, that kid is super fast. Uh, but number two, the kid was running in the wrong direction. Um, and hey, Holden, these lights are awesome, but they're pretty bright too. Can I turn them down just a little bit? Oh man, thank you, Lord. All right, that's good. Um, that kid is super fast, but that kid is also running in the wrong direction. But there's another observation that I want to make tonight, and that observation is that there's someone in that clip who loves that kid enough to chase after that kid relentlessly to say, hey, turn around. Turn, turn, please, please, please turn around. You're going the wrong way. Have you ever had someone tell you, you are going the wrong way? Sometimes it's said out of love. Sometimes that is said out of a place of deep, deep hatred. Um, so we meet here in Ames. I'm so glad to be with you all here in this space tonight. What's up, Ames? So glad that you're here. We also have some friends who meet in Iowa City. They're watching us uh, via a stream. On the count of three, everybody say, what's up, Iowa City? One, two, three. And we're so glad to have them. Also, we've got a Kairos that started this year in Des Moines. So we're so excited about that. Now, I brought up the difference between Ames and Iowa City because the truth is, is sometimes we tell people to turn around out of hate. Like, hey, I don't like your life and I don't like what you're about. And like truth be told, sometimes we get that about our rivals, right? So maybe if you are an Iowa State student, you might say to your friends at the University of Iowa, I don't like what you're about. And vice versa, friends at Iowa, in Iowa City might say to those of us who are here, I don't like what you're about, just get out of there. And it's kind of said with this like spite in our heart. That is not the kind of uh, turnaround that I want to talk about tonight. The kind of turnaround that I want to talk about tonight is the God who chases after you. The God who relentlessly goes after you because he cares about you that much and says, turn around. We all get to a place in our life where we need to turn around. Where we are going one direction and we absolutely, positively need to turn around and go the other direction. My wife can tell you that there are so many different times when I am driving and then the GPS tells us, please turn around, please turn around, please turn around. And then Abby's like, for the love of all that is good, Danny, you don't know the way, please turn around. She loves me very, very much. She's sticking there in the car with me and she's telling me, please turn around. I'm talking about turning around tonight. God will always go after you when you are heading the wrong direction. He will not give up on you. Now, there's something though really unique about the way that God goes after us. And it's actually deeper than what that metaphor in that video could show us tonight, where the child is running off and somebody has to chase the child, physically chase the child. Because you see, there's something about God chasing us, and it's that God's everywhere. Like God is actually everywhere. God's presence is infinite. And so like when we run away from God, like what are we really running away from? Like, it's not like we're actually creating space between us and God. Like, God's everywhere. It says this in the book of Psalms, on the next slide here. It says this, I can never escape you from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, that says grace, but it says, but it says in, the, in the Bible, if I go down to the grave, you're there too. I could go up in the sky. I could go deep down in the ground, and you're just everywhere. You're everywhere. And actually, for a moment, that starts to sound spooky. Like, I could never escape you. And so as you're running, you're like, the reason why I don't want to turn around is because I'll turn around and I will see the face of God. And whoa, that could be very scary. This God, who, this God whose presence is infinite and everywhere. This reminds me of a story from when I was younger. Um, when I was in high school, I played football. Uh, please do not act surprised. That's very rude. Um, but I played football and uh, I was huge. I was super muscular. I looked like this. But I played football nonetheless. 
And when, no, not that yet. We can go back a little bit. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I know. Everybody laugh. You know, put it up. Why not put it up? They already saw it, huh? Yeah, I know. That was me when I'm 15 years old on the football team. Not the most, uh, not the most intimidating figure. That's my sophomore year. And uh, every single year, um, at a certain point in camp, if you will, if you call it that in high school, at a certain point, they would start to have scrimmages. You'd have the full pads on. You'd have the helmet, the shoulder pads, the thigh pads, the knee pads, everything. You've got full pads, so it's time to scrimmage. And when I was a sophomore, like they do every year, eventually, because the varsity team needs some people to scrimmage against, and they don't want to get hurt, they faced the sophomores, the little guys like, like me. And so we get to this day that I know is coming in practice where we are going to be scrimmaging the older guys, the big guys, right? Now I'm lined up at wide receiver, and this is one of those days where I am like, I'm totally fine if I'm just not involved. Like, I'm so okay if I'm just not included. In fact, you know, like, I, I don't really like football. Like, why do I need to be here right now? And we run this play where I'm actually supposed to go out for a route. And I know in this play specifically, there's a chance that the ball is going to be thrown my way. And so as I line up, I'm lining up, and I'm like, oh, please don't. It's one, of those, it's one of those routes where you run 10 yards, and then you turn around. And then hopefully the ball comes to you, you catch it. So I run 10 yards, I turn around, I get the ball, and then when you get the ball, you're supposed to turn back around and, and go, to, go to the end zone and score touchdowns, because that's just what I do, never. And when I turn back around with the football, I see a monster in front of me. It is not another 15-year-old scraggly boy. It is a monster. In fact, a few years after high school, this monster looked like this. That's actually him. Again, go back to what I looked like on the previous slide. There's me. And again, now on the next slide, there is him. That's what I see. I turned around and I see this, and I'm like, there is nowhere I can go that will ever escape this presence. He's tackling Tim Tebow in that picture. I mean, I, could, I, I couldn't tackle grasshoppers. And so I see him, I scream, and I actually, I, my friend is standing next to me. He's, he's in the play as well. He's standing probably about five yards that way. I look at him, I toss him the ball, I get creamed, and I say, I never want to turn around again. I mean, I did not live that down for the rest of high school. When I, looked when I looked fear in the face after I had turned around, after it looked like something that was spooky, something that I felt like had chased me down, turn around, surprise, it's bad. I mean, I freaked out. I chucked the ball. But again, that, that's not God. Like, God does not chase us to tackle us. I want you to hear this tonight. God doesn't chase you to tackle you. God doesn't tell you, turn around so I can smack you because you've disobeyed me. God says, turn around and let me love you. That same passage in the book of Psalm, it says this at the end of that. It says, after it says, if I could go into the heavens, if I could go into the dead, you'd be there, you'd be there, I can't escape you. And then the author says this, if I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. Even in the darkness... I can't hide from you. It's pleasant. It's good. It's the God of love who doesn't say turn around so I can tackle you, but turn around so I can guide you back to me. I'm here and I want you to see me. God's a big fan of turnarounds, you know that? 
God's a big fan of turnarounds, even in some of the most unlikely situations. There are passages throughout the Bible where it seems like someone could not turn around. There are passages in the Bible where the emotional despair is so strong. Check this out in another psalm. It says this, this author desires, um, desires turnaround. Restore our fortunes, Lord, as, str- as streams renew the desert. Those who plant in tears, I'm sad now, will harvest shouts of joy. Because you, God, are a God of turnaround. Turn around. Turn around. I'm not mad at you. I'm madly in love with you. Turn around and see my face. See that I'm here. That I'm here to guide you. It's not just kind of this emotional thing where we can just kind of fix it in our own heads. Like, no, God actually literally physically turns things around. It says this about Jesus in the gospel accounts. It says, large crowds followed Jesus and he healed their sick. Jesus turns around the unlikely physical circumstances. Then it also says this about moral turnaround. There's a guy named Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus was a tax collector and he, he took advantage of people through taxes and everybody hated Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus was all about his money and Zacchaeus was morally corrupt. But then after Jesus spends time with Zacchaeus, it says, Zacchaeus, turn around. Let me show you the life that I have for you. Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. That's a big turnaround. That's a big turnaround, but it's even more than morals. It's even more than morals. It's also spiritual. It's also for your soul. It's also when you are feeling weaker than emotional, weaker than physical, but the depths of your soul are weary. Jesus says this in the book of Matthew. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. I will give you rest. Turn around. You might think it's completely unlikely. You might think that Jesus is starting to look weak because you are so in need of a turnaround. He is capable. And sometimes it's not the turnaround we expect, but it is the turnaround that we need. And he will always give that to you. Turn around. And to your surprise, you will not see a God who is here to smack you or hurt you, disown you or tackle you, but to guide you, to lead you back to him and to love. Unlikely turnarounds are kind of fun, aren't they? Unlikely turnarounds are are really fun. Um, I was playing tennis the other night. My wife and I, we've gotten into tennis, okay? Okay. we're not good at tennis, but we like playing tennis. And so I was, uh, I was showing my dominance um, in this tennis game. I was up three games to zero. We don't know that much about tennis. So whether it's sets, games, matches, I don't really know. All I know is I hit 40, she was down at love, and I was creaming her, all right? I'm feeling good about myself. I'm up three to zero, and like, I'm feeling really nice. Then all of a sudden, like, Abby gets on a roll, right? And then that roll keeps on happening. And I'm like, okay, Danny, just keep your composure. It's going to be fine. It's whatever. You're all good. It's not going to be that big of a turnaround, right? All of a sudden, it's three to one. Then all of a sudden, it's three to two. And now it's three to three. And I was being kind earlier when I said, hey, let's play best out of seven because I've only got to win one more set, one more match, whatever that was. And, and you know, so I'm going to win that and it's going to be easy. But now Abby's completely turned around. Now I'm getting frustrated. I'm getting angry. The turnaround's not supposed to be for her. She beats me once again. She's now leading four to three. She says, I guess I won. And I say, let's play best of nine. That was a turnaround that I wasn't expecting. A turnaround that brought her a lot of joy for a long time. It's a turnaround. Turnarounds happen when we least expect it. But I want, you to, t- I want to tell you this. 
There are those big turnarounds in our life that seem monumental. They happen in the moments. They happen with situations. They happen with our emotions. They happen with our physical uh, circumstances. They happen with our morals. They happen with our spirits. But the biggest turnaround is the turnaround of human existence, of human history, and how God turns that around. Jesus says, I'm not just here to turn around your circumstances. I'm here to turn around your existence. So Jesus uh, has this conversation with these Pharisees and they see him uh, talking about turnaround over and over. There's all these different examples and they're really getting fed up with Jesus. So they say, who gives you the authority to do these kinds of things? You can't do that. You're not one of, you're, you're not one of us. You're not religious. You don't have it all figured out like we do. Come on, Jesus. And Jesus says, all right, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. You could, the temple, keep in mind what the temple is. I referred to this verse a few weeks ago and I want to refer to it again. The temple there was the center of their existence in the religious world back then. The center of their existence. And Jesus says, you could have everything crumbled down to the ground. All of your religious understanding could crumble to the ground. And in three days, I will rebuild life. I will rebuild existence. I could do it in three days. Three days, 72 hours. That's the series that we're kicking off tonight. It's 72 hours. God says, I can make a huge turnaround in 72 hours. What can you do in 72 hours? There are some things that you can do in 72 hours that are pretty um, interesting. I read an article this week where it interviewed young people to give examples of what are different things that you can do in three days. It actually exists out there. And some of the results were things that you might expect. Somebody said you could read a book. These are 18 to 25-year-olds, by the way. So people who might find themselves in this crowd, you could read a book. You could write a song. You could go viral. You could watch season one of Outer Banks. And to that, I say that's weak. Abby and I watched it in two days. You could, pl you could complete a juice cleanse. Um, and if you complete a juice cleanse, also, then you, in three days, have created content for your Instagram for the next 12 weeks, and everyone's just going to love it. They, they, they love it, I, I promise. You could, uh, you could whiten your teeth, and ironically, I found that this article was sponsored by Colgate, so I'm sure that had nothing to do with it. Somebody reported that you could prepare a contingency plan and evacuate 100,000 inhabitants from a city. What? But apparently, this person is convinced you can do that in three weeks. Somebody said you can get over, or in three days. Somebody said you can get over a breakup in three days. Must be a three-day weekend. Someone also said you can fall in love in three days. You can do lots of things in three days. Lots of things in three days. And God says, I'm going to change existence. Now, maybe to us, when we read that passage, we don't think that that is that big of a deal. Like, what's Jesus saying? But the people who were hearing it, they knew it was huge. They responded to Jesus with their souls shaking. They say this to Jesus. They say, okay, teacher, well, we want you to show us a, mir a miraculous sign to prove your authority. You can't just say that. Jesus responds to them. He says, the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Watch what I can do in 72 hours. And if you want to know the secret to what I'm doing in 72 hours, how about you take a look at Jonah? Anybody here ever heard of that story, Jonah? Jonah is, uh, according to one thing that I read this week, it is the fourth most popular Bible story. And that's because it's oftentimes taught in Sunday school. Maybe you were a part of Sunday school and you heard the story of Jonah and the big fish. Um, so popular that you can even get a, uh, a stuffed Jonah doll at Hallmark, which I did get, and uh, pretty spectacular. 
He's a famous guy. The only stories ahead of the book of Jonah in popularity in the Bible are the resurrection of Jesus, um, David and Goliath, Jesus' birth, and then, and then it's Jonah. It's Jonah. I mean, Jonah, it's this popular story. Maybe you don't know the details of the story, but maybe you've heard Jonah and the whale, Jonah and the big fish. It's Jonah. We're going to be taking, a, we're going to take a look at Jonah over the next few weeks because Jonah is a story of turnaround. It's a story that tells us about how God turns around creation. But of course, to every turnaround, there's a reason for a turnaround. And for, J- for Jonah, the reason for his turnaround was he was running away. He was running away from God. Now to me, in a way, in a strange way, that's kind of a relief. Because you see, Jonah's a prophet. Jonah's a guy who gets words from God. Sometimes we hear prophet and we think, well, that just must mean that somebody who tells the future. Sometimes. But a prophet is simply someone who gets a word from God and communicates that. Sometimes prophets would tell their prophecies. And so we have books in the Bible that are prophetic texts and they tell us the prophecies of prophets. But for Jonah, it tells us the story of this prophet. It says that Jonah gets a word from the Lord. You heard this in the Bible reading tonight that Calissa read. And and God says to Jonah, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I've seen how wicked its people are. All right, Jonah, here's your assignment. Jonah probably would have been sitting in a temple when he received this assignment because prophets, they would go to the temple and they would reflect and they would meditate and they would pray and they would wait upon the Lord and they would hear a word. So in Jonah's day, perhaps he was sitting in the temple and that's where he was comfortable hearing God, speaking for God. But now God's saying, I want you to go to a new place. I've given you new direction. Turn around, Jonah. I want you to go to Nineveh. Now it's interesting, Jonah runs away. It says this on the next slide. It says, but Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He found a ship leaving for Tarshish. What's so bad about what God said? Come on, Jonah, get up. Go to Nineveh. Tell him what's up. Nineveh was the biggest city in that region of those days. And they were violently wicked people. Corruption, uh, filth. Jonah wanted no part of them. And so when God tells Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, Jonah says, no, I do not want to go to Nineveh. But why doesn't Jonah want to go to Nineveh? I mean, seriously, think about it. Whatever field, whatever profession you want to go into, if you got so high up in that field that the person who is in charge of your field says, hey, I've got an assignment for you, wouldn't you say, "Ah, yeah, yes, totally, Well, Jonah runs away because Jonah is not a fan of God turning things around for Nineveh. It's interesting, Jonah is not necessarily scared that he's going to go to Nineveh and they'll kill him because by the end of this passage that we're looking at tonight, you'll see that Jonah willingly gets thrown off of a ship into the sea. He's he's not afraid to die. No, I I think that Jonah is upset because God has said, I'm sending you to tell them to turn around. And for a lot of us, we are big fans of turnaround until we are the player on the other side of the court. And now we feel like we're losing because of somebody else's turnaround. So Jonah's saying, no, God, you need to be consistent. See, 
If God was going to send Jonah and God just wanted to tell, uh, to tell Nineveh, turn around, look, it's my face. I'm God and I'm here to smack you and tackle you. Jonah maybe would have been like, yeah, sure, but, but God didn't want that. He didn't need a preacher to do that. He didn't need a prophet to do that. He could have just done that. But no, prophets went places and said things to get people to turn around so they could experience God's love again. And Jonah wanted no part of it. No, God, I get to tell you who's turned around, who turns around. We read stories like this and we maybe think, ah, you know, I, I don't think that I would ever do something like that to God. I mean, that's not what my prayer life looks like. Maybe. Have you ever prayed something like this? Like, hey, um, God, so here's the deal. I've got a big exam coming up. And, uh, well, if you let me get an A on that exam, come on, God, come on, come on, come on, Lord. A, A plus even, that'd be really nice. If you let me do that, then I promise I will start to do everything you want. God, if you only let me get an A, then I'll follow you. God's not your God. The thing that came after your if only is your God. I've done it. We set up deals with God. God, I'm okay with you doing what you want to do in this world so long it's still okay with my agenda. The fact of the matter is every single one of us, when we really want to follow God, we will get to a place where God asks us and guides us or God does something in a way that we don't want him to. Because see, sometimes we want God to be so binary. In order for you to love me, God, you have to hate the people I hate. God, in order for you to love those people, that means that you must hate me. The Bible tells us that God is love. God does not hate. God fights against the evil things that gets its grips on people. But Jonah's not cool with it. Jonah doesn't want to see mercy. Jonah wants to see judgment. So Jonah packs his bags, if you will, and he goes to Tarshish. You ever packed your bags to try to run away? Now, Tarshish was the city that was the farthest west city in Jonah's region. So as far as Jonah knew, that was the far end of the world. And in that place, they didn't know God. And so Jonah perhaps thought, well, I, I could just go there and I could, I could numb myself from God. I could zone it out. I mean, this is Jonah. He knows, right? I mean, again, let's see this in the book of Psalm. It tells us that God is everywhere. Even the darkness cannot hide from you. Jonah's a prophet. He knows this. So maybe he'll just go to a place where he can ignore God. You ever packed your bags to go to a place where you can ignore the sound, ignore the noise? What do you pack your bag with? You pack your bag with things you can control. The things you're comfortable with. The things that are useful to you. You pack your bags. Now, if you want to follow God, one of the hard things is you can't, you can't fit God in this bag. God doesn't belong in a bag. You belong in God. And that's really good news. But Jonah packs his bag and he takes off and he leaves love. You ever ran away from an obviously good situation? But it wasn't perfect in your mind? I keep on referring to my wife tonight. And I know I've done that a few times this year. But you got to give me some grace because I got married like a little under three months ago. And so like this is all I can think about all the time, right? Abby and I met in 2014. We did not get married until 2020. 
when we met, we hit it off. I think like in three days, I was in love with this woman. Imagine what can happen in three days. But things weren't perfect. I was moving to Minnesota. She was a junior in college. And so she was living in Northwest Iowa at the, in Orange City at Northwestern College. So we were far away. It wasn't perfect. So like, you know, I'm just going to go away from that. And it's funny, you know, then you maybe you pack your bags with the things that you think that you can control and like, okay, well, I'll just get this part of my life figured out first. And then maybe when the time's right, I'll just do that. But then you just keep on getting reminded. You start to realize that no matter where I go, I cannot escape this love. So you start comparing everyone in the world to that person, that thing. You start to look in your bag and you're like, I don't, I don't really have anything that... <laughs> That suffices for what I've walked away from. Maybe you start to find substitutes. Come back to love. Come back to real love. God will do what it takes to get your attention. It says this in the book of Jonah. It says that then after uh, Jonah has ran away, he's gotten in the ship to go to Tarshish on the next slide here. It says that the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship. Now Jonah is realizing that my decisions to run away aren't just affecting myself, but they're also affecting the people around me. Again, we want the world to be so black and white. We want God to be so black and white. God, you love these people, you hate these people. God, I'm just going to take care of myself. I only have to love me. I don't have to love everyone. I can only care about myself. And if I care about myself, I suppose everything will just work out. That's not true. We all know that's, that's not true. The things we do, it has influence on the people around us. And so Jonah, in his disobedience, gets on a boat with these innocent sailors. And now, sailors were not innocent in every aspect of their life. They're the sailors that you read about in history class. Like, these are kind of rough around the edges types of people. But when it comes to what Jonah's doing, these people are innocent. And the text tells us that the sailors are terrified. They're like, what's going on? Jonah, meanwhile, takes a nap in the basement of the boat. He's just sleeping. I got my bags. I got the things I can control. I'm comfortable. If we want to follow God, it is so important that we do not fall into that trap of selfishness where we think, I'm just going to take care of myself. And it doesn't really matter about the world around me. It's not just the things that you do do. It's also the things that you don't do. Maybe you believe, you know what? The world's not really going to suffer if I just choose to sit in my room all the time. The world's not going to suffer if I don't reach out. No, I think that God would say the world will suffer because I thought that the world needed you, so I created you. You do make a difference in this world. Your life does have significance. And the things that we do or the things that we don't do, it has impact on the people around us in good and bad ways. So these sailors, they start to realize through a, a series of circumstances that Jonah's kind of the culprit for what's happening. So they go to Jonah and they ask him, now hold a second, why is this awful storm come down on us? Who are you? And Jonah replies to them, he says, I'm, I'm a Hebrew. He's one of God's people is what that's kind of code for. He says, I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made sea in the land, thrown me into the sea. This, now, and then he tells, he tells them, now I want you to throw me into the sea because this terrible storm is all my fault. Now hear me on this. There's kind of a process to running away, right? It's coming face to face with that thing that you no longer want anymore. You think you don't need. You pack your bags. You put the things in there. You run away. 
And then you keep on going and maybe you start to use the things in your bag and you start to realize this isn't going to help me. That's not going to help me. It says that the sailors, they cry out to their gods, the gods that they could fit in a bag and, and they can't help them. And then it says that the sailors, they, they reject this idea from Jonah. Noah, you can't throw, we can't throw you into the sea. That's just wrong. I mean, we have some morals. So it says that they row harder. Now, what do you do in life when you realize that running away is not getting you anywhere? I'll just use the tools that I picked up in my life. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm pretty good at science. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I'm pretty good at friendship. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm pretty good at sports. I, I don't know. I'm pretty good at music. But eventually our bag runs empty. And there are two places that we can go in that place. We can turn around. We can see the love of God, the face of God. Or we can do what Jonah does in this moment. Jonah says, it's all my fault. And the only way this is going to fix, get fixed is if I suffer. I'm going to have to suffer. And maybe you've heard this story of Jonah before and you're like, yeah, because Jonah, he's about to get thrown into the sea and it tells us the sailors picked Jonah up and they threw him into the raging sea and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power and they offered him a sacrifice. They offered God a sacrifice and they vowed to serve him. He says, yeah, okay, so they do that and the storm does stop and you think, okay, see, Jonah, he just needed to suffer. I've heard this in Bible school before and, and so that's just what happens. Listen, it might have been Jonah's fault, but I don't see anywhere in the text that says Jonah had to suffer in order for God to save these people. It doesn't say that. What if Jonah just turned around on the boat? I think a lot of us in this space tonight, or if you're watching us, if you're streaming with us, I think a lot of us carry so much weight that we think in order for the world to be a better place, in order for my friends to feel better, in order for me not to screw everything up, I should just remove myself. And sometimes that goes to very, very dark places. Please turn around. Please turn around. God is not calling for you to suffer more to fix the world for him. God can fix the world just fine on his own. It is not up to you to fix the problems of the world. God says, I will do that in three days. But some of us, we wear that weight. I mean, it says the sailors, they just repented. They just turned around. They just started honoring God and the storm didn't come back. But Jonah says, toss me in the sea. And when it looked like maybe it was over for Jonah, the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow him. And you would think, oh, great. Wow. God sent the Jaws shark to kill Jonah. No. What Jonah found was, even in the depths of a raging sea, he couldn't escape the love of God. You know, to my great surprise in life, when I run the farthest from God, and I think that I'm running far from God and I'm creating space between God, I, I remember, wait, wait, God's an infinite presence. And I've tried everything that's in my bag. And then I turn around. He's not trying to tackle me. He's there to save me. He's there to guide me. And to my great surprise, he's not far off in the distance. He's near as ever before. He's closer than my very bones. It says this in the book of Hosea chapter 6, and then Jesus quotes it in Matthew chapter 9. I want you to show love, not offer, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. God doesn't belong in your bag. 
you belong in God's love. And when you run away, God's grace and God's mercy is big enough to save you and to remind you to turn around because he's there with you. Do not run away from love any longer. You don't have to. You know, there's a beautiful moment in every single wedding where the bride walks down the aisle and the bride and groom, they're getting closer and closer and closer and we see the love magnify between the two of them. And as a pastor, I see people do that all the time. I get to see that, I get to witness that. It's a really beautiful moment. The groom is sometimes crying. Maybe the bride is like, you know, weeping as well. And it's beautiful. But nothing compared to when I was actually standing there for my own wedding. You know, I mean, like it had been years and years and years of running and maybe trying to fill my bag with other things. And I kept on finding, I'm like, I'm comparing everything and anything to Abby. And we had totally convinced ourselves, this is destructed, this is done, this is over. At one point, Abby even said, the door is shut and I locked it. Relationship is toast, man. Now watch what God can rebuild. Now, listen, hear me out on this. Like, that is not me saying, now my story is your story. That's my story. Maybe your story is, you keep on going back to that relationship and God's like, no, turn around. Turn around to love. One of the most beautiful things that I'm experiencing in my marriage so far with Abby is that like our love cannot be contained in a bag. And if I try to control it, it won't go well. And there are times when maybe I'll embarrass myself. Like I control the situation. Abby made kale chips the other night. Like there's no way that's good. She looks away for a second. I start like nibbling on them. Like, mm, this, I mean, actually it's pretty good. She turns around, she sees me. I'm like, no, I don't like it. It's just a joke. That's okay to turn around to love. <laughs> to be happy in that place. The love's for you. I mean, way, way better than a romantic love. Way better than even a marriage kind of love. This is the kind of love that God has for you. Who relentlessly chases after you. To save you, to guide you, to tell you to turn around and lead you back to him. You know, Jesus had told the Pharisees, the religious people, hey, you want to know about my love? You know about the secret sauce to my turnaround? It's, it's found in the book of Jonah. Maybe they remember the book of Jonah, but then Jesus finishes and he says this, but now someone greater than Jonah is here. Jonah jumped into the water because he was feeling that guilt and he thought, I've done something wrong. And yes, he had done something wrong. And yes, his, his guilt was real, but his guilt turned into something that said, you know, it's not just that I've caused trouble, I am trouble. It's not just that I've screwed up, I am a screw up, therefore I must go. So he says, I have to fix this, I have to be the one. But Jesus says, but now someone here is greater than Jonah. Jonah, this guy who even though he screwed things up, he did do something kind of bold there, didn't he? He, he had that moment on the ship where he realized, you know what, I'm going to die. This is over. But either I'm going to die alone and these people live, or I'll just die some ordinary sailor out on the sea with a bunch of other people and no one will ever be able to tell our story. Jonah's tossed into the water and God grips him in love. God grips him in love. And as Jonah's surrounded by the whale and he's living inside the whale, like and it's kind of this crazy, wild, almost disgusting story. 
I mean, the, the things, I mean, the things that are on Jonah's body at this point does not still even compare to the closeness of the love that is on Jonah in that point. And Jesus says, I have not done anything wrong. I have not hurt anyone. I have never run away from you. I have always stayed close to you and I will never be far away from you. I am nearer than you've ever known before. I'm closer than your very bones. I'm better than Jonah. I've never messed anything up, but I still will say, throw me overboard. My life for yours, your life no longer for mine. I don't need you to fix the world. I will rebuild it in three days. I will change existence. I will change human history. You will live, I will die, but in three days, I'm gonna rebuild life like you never knew before, better than Jonah. Friends, turn around. Every single one of us in this space tonight, I know, me, too, me included, filling our bags with something that we want to control and feel comfortable with. Put the, bag back, put the bag down and turn around and see God's love is for you. Let's stand. Let's sing. Amen.